The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. A hawkish pause from the Fed, which keeps rates on hold, but signals two further hikes by the end of the year. The chair, Jerome Powell, trying to balance market expectations. We didn't make a decision about July. I mean, of course, it, it came up in the, in, the, um, in the meeting from time to time, but really the focus was on what to do today. I would say about, about July, two things. One, decision hasn't been made. Two, I, I do expect that there will be a live meeting. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ come off 13-month highs following the decision, while Treasury yields waver. Bond King Jeffrey Gunlack tells CNBC the Fed's strategy is still flawed. They're making the reverse mistake that they made uh, about a year and a half ago, a year and a quarter ago, where they were too slow to raise rates because they're looking at lagging data. Employment is lagging data. We already see some signs of weakness developing in the employment market. China's yuan hitting a six-month low after the central bank cuts a key policy rate, while a raft of fresh data also disappoints and underscores the economic challenges facing Beijing. The ECB is expected to hike rates yet again today, with inflation north of 6%, while investors keep a close eye out for updates on the growth and inflation outlook. And French President Emmanuel Macron calls for greater support for Europe's AI sector, telling me here at Vivatech that countries around the world must come together to draft new technology rules. I think we do need a regulation and all the players, even the US players, do agree with that. I think we need a global regulation. A very good morning and a warm welcome to Squawk Box. Wonderful to be here with you this morning, Mandy. Great to be working with you again, Juliana. <laughs> well, let's get right to our top story this morning. The Federal Reserve has finally paused its rate hiking cycle with FOMC members voting unanimously to keep the target range between 5 and 5.25%. However, the move is being interpreted as a hawkish pause after the dot plot right next to me here implied two more 25 basis point hikes are still expected before the end of the year. The central bank also also raised its forecast for the next two years, projecting a Fed funds rate of 4.6% in 2024 and 3.4% in 2025. So, Mandy, the Federal Reserve had quite the balancing act to pull off yesterday. They wanted to deliver this pause so they could wait and see how the economy digests the rate hikes already pushed through, but not be so dovish that they saw a positive market reaction, which could be counterproductive. So they put through those two increases in projections for rate hikes later this year. And looking at the market reaction, it seems like they sort of pulled it off. Yeah, they've sort of put it off for now, but I wonder whether there's going to have to be a bit of a market reshuffle and reset from now on. If indeed all those people out there who are expecting cuts before the end of the year are going to be caught a little bit short-footed, aren't they? Um, and also, there was some commentary about the idea that maybe cuts are still a couple of years away. I mean, obviously, anything can happen between now and a couple of years away. And as Jeffrey Gundlach was saying, we've we've had ten hikes already coming down the pipe, and they haven't yet had the full impact 
impact in the real right. economy. So all this data that we're getting uh, isn't really showing the material uh, significance of those hikes so far. It'll be fascinating to see what matters between now and that July meeting, which Jerome Powell said is a live meeting. We'll talk to our guests this morning about what to look for in particular over the next six weeks or so. Now, back to the press conference, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the pause would allow the central bank to assess the impact of its tightening cycle so far. Conditions that we need to see in place to get inflation down are, are coming into place, and that would be grow, growth meaningfully below trend, it would be a labor market that's loosening. It would be goods uh, pipelines getting healthier and healthier and that kind of thing. They're, they're, the things are in place that we need to see, but the process of that actually working on inflation is going to take some time. Well, let's take a look at the market reaction to all of this uh, immaterial stuff that's been coming out of the Fed. You've got here the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which dropped by seven-tenths of a percent, and it broke its six-day winning streak. You've got the S&P 500 moving just ever so slightly to the upside there. Indeed, this is now the longest daily winning streak for the S&P 500 since November of 2021. The Nasdaq still, and it has been a theme of late, it was still the outperformer from a percentage point of view, and also sitting at the highest level there since April of 2022. Let's take a look at what happened over in the Treasury market. Uh, you've got the two-year note yielding 4.74%. So after the Fed, it was kind of, it, you know, it, it, there was a little bit of a, a, a as there always in, is, a knee-jerk reaction, a little bit of a, a movement around as everyone was trying to digest what exactly is going on and what does the Fed's hawkish pause mean for the Treasury market. But it settled out there at 4.7%. Uh, the 10-year uh, the note currently yielding 3.82%. And in fact, the 10-year yield did fall in reaction. As for the dollar crosses, uh, largely dollar strength is what we're seeing here. So the euro dollar down to 108.07. Dollar JPY sharply higher there, up by 1%. Remember, we've also got the BOJ this week. And uh, there, there, there is pretty much no expectation for them to do anything of major note with regards to their uh, monetary policy. I mean, of course, uh, in future months, they could do a little bit of massaging and tweaking the yield curve control the YCC. But at the end of the day, you've still got um, quite a large differential between interest rates in Japan and interest rates in the US. GBP, which has had a nice lift this week on uh, strong wage data. Uh, but nonetheless, right now, it's the US dollar strength on the back of that hawkish pause that is taking uh, um, you know, control of the, the steering wheel. And you've got pound down to 126.31, down by about two tenths of a percent. And moving along, dollar also gaining against the Swissy, 0.3. 6% gain there. As for US futures, let's take a look at the picture there. It is an implied open, uh, again, still very early days, that it's going to be a little bit weak at the start of trade. Once again, Juliana, I do feel that everyone is just... Uh, um, rejigging their expectations um, because obviously if there are still some more hikes to come uh, towards the end of the year, um, then you know, we've got to have completely change our earnings estimates as well, don't we? Absolutely, which is uh, I think all the more reason why it's interesting that markets were so resilient yesterday, although trade was choppy. Now, Doubleline Capital CEO Jeffrey Gunlack told CNBC the Fed was hawkish in its rhetoric, but not in action. I don't believe the Fed's going to raise rates again. I think Jay Powell has a really difficult job right now because as Steve is correctly pointing out, I think he realizes that we're at a turning point potentially 
on the inflation situation and on the economy, and yet there are people that are dedicated to these, these lagging indicators like unemployment, uh, labor market, and certainly looking at core CPI, well, it lags, it, it just does. I don't really understand why the Fed is kind of making the same, I think, mistake that they made a year and a half ago, but in reverse. They're not looking at the high frequency data. U.S. producer prices eased by more than expected in May, falling by 0.3% versus the month before. The annual increase of 1.1% was the smallest since December 2020, driven by lower energy and food prices. This comes after consumer prices also eased in May, rising at their slowest annual pace in over two years. Let's welcome Paul Donovan to the show, Chief Economist, UBS Global Wealth Management. Paul, wonderful to speak with you. Always a pleasure. Um, what do you think of the Fed's decision yesterday to go ahead with what is being deemed a hawkish pause, given the inflation data shows that inflation is cooling and the rate hikes are already working? Well, it was all a bit of an incoherent mess, if you ask me. I mean, the press conference was quite rambling, you know, uh, and identifying problems which don't exist. You know, the, the tightness of the labour market. I mean, has the, the Fed chair not seen what's happening to unit labour costs? Um, the, the core CPI. But actually, when you look at the detail of inflation in the United States, headline and core, you know, in parts of the United States, it's collapsing. Um, you know, half of the cities that reported inflation uh, in May had inflation below three and a half percent already, uh, and the other half are, are moving towards that in uh, over the course of the next few months. So it, it was a rather messy decision, I think, um, and it's very much a, a backwards-looking press conference that Powell was talking about you know, the past and, and the immediate numbers, whereas, of course, monetary policy is supposed to be influencing what is happening in 12, 18 months' time. Policy works with a lag. Somebody should tell Fed Chair Powell that. Hopefully he's watching Squawk Box this morning, Paul. Um, given what you just said, what are the chances that the Fed actually uh, goes forward with the two more rate hikes that are being projected in the dot plot? And is there a chance that those projections are simply being put out there because the Fed was trying to send a tangible hawkish signal to prevent the market from getting carried away, which could ultimately be counterproductive to their inflation fighting initiative? Well, I don't think it's a, a coordinated Fed signal because this this comes from the, the the regional Fed presidents and so on and so forth. I have to say, though, you know, anybody you speak to at the Fed, you know, bitterly regrets the decision to go down the route of publishing the dot plot because it it gives a a misleading signal a lot of the time. There's no conviction level in there. If you're sort of fifty fifty about raising uh, two times or one times, and you, you err on one side, then the dot plot moves without actually representing how strongly you feel things should go. So you know, if I was running the Fed, I wouldn't be raising in July, but I've got a British accent, so I'm not allowed to run the Fed. So I think they probably will go in July. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to be warranted, but I think they'll go there. I would be skeptical about another rate move after that, because as we come through the summer, the economic data is going to be fairly convincingly pointing to your know, ongoing disinflation. I think I'm not expecting the labor market necessarily to shift that much, but if you're getting the ongoing disinflation, you're still seeing fairly mediocre real wages in after you know two years of absolutely catastrophically bad real wages. It, it's not going to add up, I think, to justifying another rate hike. So. One in July, I think, uh, and I would be skeptical about more after that.
Paul, it's Karen jumping in. I just want to tackle the labour market angle because I caught up with one of the largest recruiters in the world yesterday, Manpower, and the CEO is telling me, look, there are just jobs that uh, cannot be filled at this point. Employers are offering these workers more money, but they don't want to do the jobs. They want to do remote work. They want to be in offices. They don't want to be doing some of these service roles. He said, look, it's just very different this time around. I said, well, wh you know, when can you see that tightness abating? He said, I said, this year, next year? He couldn't call it. Isn't that concerning if those right up front looking at the labour market don't know when the tightness is going to end? Doesn't that make it more difficult this time around for the Fed? Well, the thing is, we talk about a tight labour market, but then you look at the wage result and the wage result has been terrible. In a tight labour market, your number one goal is to maintain your living standard and no developed economy has seen workers maintain their living standards. Unemployment is low, absolutely. But real wages have been disastrous in several countries, the worst in history. I mean, this is a very, very peculiar situation that we've got. With regards to certain areas having labour shortages, we hear a lot of complaints about this, absolutely. But then actually, when we look at it, what we're seeing is these, you know, the, the restaurant sector, for example, is doing very well with fewer workers than it had pre-pandemic. So what's happening is, is business models are adapting, automation is coming in in certain areas. You, know, you scan a QR code and, and order yourself. You don't have serving staff coming over to take your order, this kind of thing. So we are seeing people adapt to a different labor market. And that, I think, is mitigating perhaps some of the concerns about tightness. The other important thing, the really important feature of labor markets in the last two years has been the churn people jumping from company to company. And that is clearly starting to slow down. You know, we're seeing people stay in place a bit more. That increases productivity. It lowers labor costs over time as well. Paul, one of the other indicators from this conference here was really a conversation I had with PricewaterhouseCoopers, the, the chair there. PwC was effectively saying, look, we're seeing the slowdown coming through in some of the spending decisions. That's sort of getting back to that recessionary type of uh, market that we've seen before. But one element we're concerned about, too, is the debt restructuring. What do you make of the credit tightening and the impact that is going to have on slowing the economy down? Well, I think it, it hits disproportionately, uh, fairly obviously, because if we look at lower income groups, they have become a lot more dependent upon credit. And uh, a lot of this is involuntary credit. So involuntary credit is when you go to the supermarket, you hand over your credit card, you don't think about it until the end of the month when you suddenly realize that your credit card bill is more than you can afford to repay that month. So that sort of involuntary credit becomes very vulnerable to a credit tightening, because if you hand over your credit card and it is declined, you have no choice but to stop spending. So that's the, the concern. But if we look at middle-income households, there there is less of a concern. They have been less dependent upon uh, credit overall. Uh, their ability to spend uh, is still reasonably good. And of course, with things like rising female participation in the workforce, households are very often getting additional income coming in. So while at an individual level, real wages have been very bad, you're now supplementing that with a second income as a household. That helps to mitigate some of the uh, uh, problems of credit tightening. So I think the credit tightening falls disproportionately on lower income consumers. Middle income consumers, who in a macroeconomic sense are more influential, uh, are probably better positioned. Earlier on in the show, Paul, um, Juliana really hit the nail on the head when she said that 
this hawkish pause seems to have been pulled off. You know, the market kind of took this in their stride. There was no real panic in the markets if you look at the, the close on Wall Street. And yet I wonder, maybe the market is not believing the Fed in the same way that you're not believing the Fed. Because at some point, if you've got, say, 50 basis points more of hikes down the line this year, so two more, two more potential hikes, is something going to break other than just the back of inflation? So I think that, uh, I mean, th this was the, the one-year anniversary of the Fed disastrously, in my view, tearing up forward guidance. So you know, for a year, why would you believe the Fed? They don't, they're not honest. I mean, you know, Powell will say one thing and do another, as he did in the policy errors of June 22. So uh, I, I'm not surprised that the market doesn't necessarily believe what the Fed says, because that's what Fed told us uh, a year ago. Um, so if we get 50 basis points, is this going to cause a, a more major break in the economy? It's unlikely, I think, because you know, uh, uh, if they're raising two times rather than one time, at the margin, it's not that big a deal. Only if it caused uh, systemic problems in the banking system, which I think is relatively unlikely, or if you really accelerated the credit tightening, would I be a lot more concerned? The US is not that interest rate sensitive an economy, uh, certainly compared to the UK or some European economies, it's a lot less interest rate sensitive. Um, and so whilst uh, if you have you know, another two rate hikes, the signal that that sends may be troubling, say, for the construction sector or for narrow parts of the economy, I don't think it necessarily causes things to break. Um, I also don't think it accomplishes that much, to be perfectly honest. The Fed is hell bent on, on hiking until they see a 2% handle in inflation. And is that even a realistic target anymore? Well, I think it is realistic because you've already got 2% inflation or below 2% inflation in parts of the states. If you look at the geographic split and you know, huge swathes of the United States are below 3.5% inflation already. You know, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, all these places, inflation has halved this year and it's comfortably below uh, the 3.5% rate. And that trend continues to be downwards. We know that you know, the made-up price of owner's equivalent rent is adding to inflation at the moment, but that will subtract in the future. We know that the volatile used car component is, is going to be coming down. So the reality is, actually, a lot of people in the United States, you know, if you are a homeowner, if you are not buying a used car this year, your actual cost of living is probably fairly close to 2% now because you're not experiencing you know, the, the fictional price of, of owner's equivalent rent. You're not experiencing the volatility of used car prices. So I don't think there's an issue there. I don't think the Fed necessarily needs to see a 2% handle. I hope Powell's not going to be so foolish uh, as to insist on that. They just need the direction of travel of disinflation to be very obvious. And again, the policy decisions today don't influence inflation today. They influence inflation mid, late next year. And so changing interest rates today or maintaining too hawkish a stance today when inflation is moving towards your target is, in my view, a rather foolish situation. I mean, it's one thing to see inflation fall down. It's another one to see it stay down. Anyway, Paul Donovan, always good to talk to you. Great to have you on the show. Big Fed sort of digestion day. Chief economist with UBS Global Wealth Management there. Well, let's turn to the world's second largest economy, that is China. And the central bank there has cut 
a key policy rate for the first time in 10 months as Beijing is looking to support the flagging economy amid declining post-COVID recovery momentum. The PBOC lowered the rate on its one-year medium-term lending facility by 10 basis points to 2.65%. Well, Chinese factory and retail data both missing expectations in May. Industrial output rose by 3.5%, which was a slowdown from April, while retail sales also softened, despite seeing an increase of 12.7%. Let's bring in my good friend and colleague, and of course our resident China watcher as well, Sam Vardas with CNBC. Hey there, Sam. Great of you to join us today. We got the trinity of data yesterday, and all of them were lower than expected. Good morning to you, Mandy. It's nice to see you there. Hope you don't miss us too much over here in Asia. But yes, China, as you've just pointed out, is facing quite a different problem to what we're seeing over in the US with its lower inflation. It does have a high youth unemployment rate at the moment, and it has got this slowing economy in terms of the recovery and the pace of that. So what we've seen today is just further confirmation that the recovery is losing some steam and it does continue to point to the lopsided recovery when you look at the industrial output and also the retail sales today. All three economic activity indicators uh, came in and missed expectations. So certainly disappointing set of numbers that we got today, but really what this is doing is building the case for more support. Now, as you pointed out, the loss of momentum in this recovery has already prompted the PBO to cut those short-term borrowing costs. We saw that earlier in the week, and that was really paving the way for uh, the PBOC to cut the medium-term lending facility rate today by 10 basis points. Uh, now, this typically acts as a guide for the loan prime rate. We'll be getting those benchmark lending rate fixings, the one-year and the five-year, on Tuesday. Um, so we could probably be in for a 10 basis point cut also there as well to really support uh, this economic recovery right now off the back of what we've seen today. Now, with the retail sales, you might be thinking, wow, double digits, 12 point something percent uh, looks pretty good uh, at a headline level. Uh, it certainly does. But we are dealing with a low base from last year. Of course, Shanghai was in lockdown. Um, and of course, it is capturing the May Day holiday as well. Uh, on the fixed asset investment side, a few concerning trends there, particularly when you look at where some of that money went. Uh, property investment is still down. We also got home prices out today. Uh, they continue to look sluggish. Uh, so now really the expectation in the market is that we will see more targeted measures to really support this recovery moving forward. Ladies, back to you. Sam, thank you so much for the report. Wonderful to speak with you this morning. We'll hopefully catch up with you again later in the show. Also coming up on Squawk Box, more central bank action on the way. We're going to be heading to Frankfurt to preview today's ECB decision after this break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Welcome back to the program. The Bank of England has announced an external review into its economic forecasts in response to criticism for failing to anticipate the current persistent inflation. The central bank has not yet announced who will lead the review, which will examine ways to improve forecasting, as well as the way it uses projections when making policy. The Bank of Japan will announce its rate decision at the end of its meeting tomorrow. While the central bank is not expected to make any policy changes, investors will be watching closely for any signs of future tweaks to its current ultra-loose stance. The BOJ's yield curve control policy will be in focus after Governor Ueda said the bank could make changes if the balance between the costs and benefits of the policy were to change. Well, at Central Bank Bonanza, the ECB, the European Central Bank, is widely expected to raise its benchmark rate by another 25 basis points today. This amid expectations that the ECB could be nearing the end of its rate hiking cycle, despite policymakers insisting that all future decisions will be data dependent. Inflation in the Eurozone remains stubbornly high at 6.1% in May. Aneta has more. Aneta, after uh, the Fed pulled that little rabbit out of the hat and uh, maybe a cat among the pigeons uh, with the hawkish paws, I wonder if the ECB might have some surprises for us as well. Well, probably not. Actually, under the leadership of Christine Lagarde, the ECB is not in for many surprises. So um, I have to say what we are most likely getting, um, also given that there's not a lot of crisis elements right now in the markets, is that 25 basis point hike today and then one more probably in July. And then the ECB is most likely following suit to the uh, what the Fed is doing, pausing. That actually is at least the majority of or the majority of, uh, of economists do think that from September onwards we first also see a pause from the ECB. But whether this terminal rate will then stand when it comes to the deposit rate at 3.75% forever um, well, remains to be seen because as you were pointing out it's all data dependent and a lot of uh, future the, or the, the rate path in the future will depend on uh, how the core inflation element is actually developing and here we really have to watch out for a second round effect when it comes to wage negotiations um, here in Germany we are seeing a lot of wage demands of course uh, high demands from the trade unions and whether this is actually then baking up uh, baking in the in the inflation uh, projections as well will be key so one element to watch out here at the ECB today is a new round of staff projections for GDP growth and also inflation because that gives you kind of an idea of what the ECB thinks we are standing when it comes to the uh, monetary policy stance because for now there's loads of uncertainty surrounding inflation, surrounding the, the growth outlook, but also about the effects of monetary policy on the real economy. Because, of course, there's always a huge time lag uh, from hiking rates and then seeing the real effects on the real economy. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.